This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And thank you to our special sponsors, iris.co.uk. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think people don't understand Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD phase one because they were the first software there to be listed as approved by the HMRC TD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where do they go to to see this? It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That stands for making tax digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole making tax digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin? That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, at Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Welcome to the show and I'm thrilled to have back with me today as our special guest, Bill Reeb. Bill, good day to you. Thanks for having me. Bill, you've been on the show before. We love the stuff you talk about with leadership and management and accountability. And last time we had you on the show, we weren't really into the global pandemic that is COVID, but we're in challenging times. So we're going to unpack that. You're doing a lot with professional firms all over the world. Just for people that haven't come across you, give us a little bit about your background and your key areas of passion. Well, my key areas of passion is the profession. You know, outside of that, it'd be golf and martial arts. But in my seven days a week uh, work <laughs> life, I uh, my passion is trying to help our professionals uh, evolve and grow because the the world around us just constantly pushes us to get better and and because we're global our competitors are everywhere and there's a lot of people that can operate on uh, much lower economies of scale because of their environment that they're in so it's a very competitive marketplace and nobody can sit back and say you know I've made it I can relax everybody's being pushed that's a really good point already, right out of the gate, because everybody's contending with something. Nobody's immune from the stresses, the overload, the sheer workload, the remote style of working now in COVID. The world is changing. So you talk about the profession with a lot of passion there. What kind of shape do you feel the profession is in generally, professional services as a whole? Well, I would say that the, the CPA firm of the future will shift to be a professional services firm. Okay. I think that when you start looking at where we're going, accounting is just a table stakes. If you're playing poker, it's table stakes. Uh, to be able to do accounting is table stakes, but we have to be able to help our clients. Uh, what do you operate. mean by table stakes, Bill? Just translate that for our international audience. Well, if you want to sit down at a poker table, you have to ante up to play every game just, okay. just to get in. So yes. in the game, people bet by the cards and all those kind of thing. But just to be able to play, you have to have a certain amount of commitment, a certain amount of knowledge, a certain amount of, in this case, a certain amount of money to just yeah. be able to play along with everybody else. So being a good accountant is table stakes. So you don't even get to play in the world that we are if you aren't a good accountant. So then the next question is, so what do I need to bring? Well, a good accountant is going to be being a trusted advisor. A good accountant is probably going to be connected to some kind of wealth management. A good trusted advisor is going to probably deal with some kind of estate issues because we have a lot of baby boomers around the world retiring. A good accountant is going to deal with what are the critical success factors that we have to monitor to help you make the decisions. A good accountant is going to have to deal with all of the layers from data to decision. And quite frankly, our profession has been so overwhelmed just trying to get data 
that we often avoid the path from data to decision. And the other part is that many, many people in our profession, when it comes to data, are only focused on financial data, when in fact, the world is saying you can't operate a business without looking at holistically financial and non-financial data, because the data itself, if it's just financial, is you're operating with uh, one leg and one hand tied together and trying to run a race. You just can't do that. And accountants, they collect more data than anyone through the software they, they run, through the data points, financial information of their clients. There's a lot of overload and overwhelm. Are you detecting that in the professionals you talk to? Yeah, the, the thing is we're overloaded with data, but we're not overloaded with relevant data. <laughs> yes. And we're not making you know, sense of it and telling the story behind the data to make decisions, as you say. We are not because we get so caught up with, I mean, think about it from a simple perspective. If a financial statement, and even in today's time, getting a financial statement 15 days after the end of the month, if that's considered still a reasonable practice, that's 45 days late after mm. an event has occurred, up to 45 days late. Well, if I, you find a business owner that's making decisions 45 days after every event, we got a business that's going out of business. So we need to become far more conscious of what's going on, not only from the data of the financial transaction, but what about the forecasting? What about what's coming in and the what's in the backlog? What about merging all of that together? I remember when I was with IBM before I became a CPA and I, I sold computers and worked in the construction and manufacturing area and we started doing MRP, which was just material requirements planning. But all of a sudden I had to know what was coming in. I had to know what we had in. I had to know what the inventory was. I had to know what my personnel was. I had to blend all that together so I could figure out what I actually need. Now in the pandemic, we have constraints everywhere. We not only have people constraints, we have material constraints. We have interaction constraints. We have all kinds of additional constraints and at the end of the day, what matters most to our clients is help me survive, help me meet our goals. Well, if all I'm giving you is a summary of what happened a month ago, two months ago, five months ago in an audit, then what good are we when it comes to helping me meet my goals? I'm not saying that's not important. I'm saying we have, a, we have another job to do, and we're so busy doing the first job, we're not doing the second one. Which then leads me to the comment that over time, between AI, artificial intelligence, between globalization of workers, because we know we could go out to different parts of the world and find workers at 20, 25 cents on the dollar compared to what we might pay in the US. If you're going to focus on what I call the commodity work, then plan on over the next five, six, seven years between the commodity work being automated between bots coming in and people writing bots to bridge between one software package and another, between using that globalized workforce, prices are gonna go down and down and down. And if that's where your bread and butter is, imagine a $10 million firm that five years from now, if they stay on their current course, will be growing and growing and growing and then consider 50% of that fall off the face of the earth. It's They're not prepared for that. It is no. frightening. That's exactly right. And so as long as we're evolving and we're adding that advisory component, the stickiness of the lower end work won't matter. It's going to be there because I can't give advice if I don't have it. So the fact that I can get it significantly cheaper, I'm not going to move from that because what I really care about is, did you take the time to help me run my business? And it's clear that not all CPA firms have stepped up in the pandemic. Some have fallen short in being proactive in upskilling on the level of expertise they have to deal with the complexity of something like COVID. But let's touch for a moment, Bill, on the modern day CPA accounting firm workplace. 
hybrid, remote. The game has changed, isn't it, from when you were back as a CPA? Absolutely. What I would first start out with is we're an apprentice-based business. And, and that means we learn from watching and getting constant feedback. So we're an apprentice-based business. Imagine if you were a blacksmith, which a blacksmith would, you know, for example, create horseshoes and then nail them onto the horse. Well, imagine teaching over a video how to take this piece of iron, mold it into a horseshoe, cool it down to the right temperature, and then nail it onto a horse. We'd have no one that survived the first two weeks of being a blacksmith because they'd all be kicked in the face and die from the horse. So my point is, there's some things that's really hard to learn. Information can be communicated over a channel like this, but the practical application of that, that experience, that failure in doing it in a safe way where somebody is there to then show you where you've missed and show you what you need now to learn, that interactive process is much and much, much harder in a virtual environment. I am not saying it can't be done. But I am saying it is much more difficult. And a lot of people have just kind of defaulted and said, hey, we're in a virtual environment. Get over it. Uh, everybody can work virtually. Well, here's what I would tell you. And I know that I sound like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino walking out with a baseball bat. It's like, get off my yard. I, I know that. But at the same time, what I will tell you is during the pandemic, what we've seen is the people that know what they're doing don't know how to stop because they're at home. That office is right there. They're working not six days a week, they're working all the time. They'll work and then they go back to work. So they're overstressing themselves. But we also have a lot of people that don't know what they're doing. Now imagine somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, who's feeling insecure about saying, I don't know what I'm doing, who mm -hmm. is trying their best to try to figure it out, but they also don't and are not used to self-motivation, the self-motivation of getting up, getting dressed, get to that workplace, which is your desk at home and working. We have a lot of people that are also taking that seven, eight, nine, 10 hour day and calling it even when they put in five or six and it's not the same hours. And we have to be able to resolve this. And quite frankly, the, the, the way to resolve it is gonna be through much, much better management skills. Well, we'll dip into some of the solutions, but I love your analogy of the apprentice. It was standing by them over the shoulder. You do as I do, you watch it. Let me check what you do. And it was very hands-on learning on the job. That was how you absorbed your trade, wasn't it, back in the day? But developing culture, coaching people like that is so difficult to do when everybody's remote. It is. And recently, we've gone through a particular uh, consulting job, and some of the interviews have been in person, and some of them have been over Zoom. And I will tell you the, uh, the, the virtual interviews, same questions. The virtual interviews do not reap the same information, the same quality of information. They don't richness. even come close. That's right, richness. Yeah, they yeah. don't even reach the same level, no virtual level of connection versus what you get in person. And I'm not saying everything needs to be in person, but I'm saying virtual is a tool that today I'm amazed that we didn't use 10 years ago because it was available. But we were just used to picking up the phone, and that's the way we've always done it, so that's the way we did it. I, I'm amazed that we were so slow to pick up virtual. But at the same time, virtual cannot replace the, the learning that takes place in, in person. It just can't. The, the richness, uh, that's a great word, just simply isn't there. But what are firms going to do? Because some CPAs don't want to go back to the long commute. 
They don't go want to go back to the office. They like the convenience of virtual, maybe some kind of hybrid, but you're never going to get everybody back in. Do we need everybody back in? Well, we don't need everybody back in. But the fact is that there are certain things that we want people in more than others. For example, if you're new to the job, you need to be in. And you need to be watching and learning. And then when you get pretty good at the job, you can start taking more virtual time. But the idea that I can get promoted into a new job, don't know what I'm doing, and I'm going to pick it all up at home, I think is a little bit of a stretch. Uh, the, The second thing is, as we look at where virtual is going, it doesn't help if I work for you, Rob, and I come in on Monday and Tuesday, and you come in on Thursday and Friday. Well, we're both there two days a week. But we didn't overlap at all. So I come into the office and nobody's there to teach me anything anyway. So that just says, why come in at all? So we have to coordinate some of this stuff. One of the problems leaders say with the whole virtual thing is I can't keep track of this. I don't know exactly what people are doing. There's this lack of accountability. You talk a lot about this to firms all over the world. Unpack that a little bit for us. Well, accountability says that you or in this case, me, if I'm the one that we're holding accountable, I know what's expected of me. And my job is to deliver on that expectation, which means one, clarity up front as to what I'm supposed to do. Two, I am actually responsible for delivering whatever product or service it is. And if I if I get in trouble and I don't know what I'm doing, I am responsible for immediately picking up the phone, getting on with somebody and trying to figure out what to do. I, I can't be passive and say, okay, somebody, you need to be managing me every second. You need to be on top of me. So to make sure that I'm getting everything done. However, at the same time, while I am responsible for doing that, if I don't know what I'm doing, and I, we use these words very clearly and very consistently, am I consistently, successfully with limited oversight performing a specific task? If the answer to any of those three questions, not all of them, in others, any three, if any one of them is wrong or a no, you are not prepared to do this on your own, which Mm -hmm. means I need to supplement that with training. I need to supplement that with check-ins, frequent check-ins with higher oversight. And we're not managing people that level. We simply What I say the typical accounting firm across the world does is we give you a job, we throw you in the deep end of the swimming pool, we come back three or four hours later and see if you survived, you know, and and if we can do that enough and you survive enough, we call you one of the good ones. And if, if you don't survive, if you've just been paddling in the water and you haven't made any progress, we just stop giving you work. Uh, And that's no way to be because what we're doing is we're putting this incredibly high stress on the people pulling the wagon and we're letting more and more people jump on the back of the wagon and ride. And we're making very little distinction between the pullers and the riders. So one of the phenomena that's happened due to COVID is that we're seeing, and we've always seen people at the lower end of success in that environment. The marginal workers, you might call That's right. The marginal workers, we've always seen turnover there. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're seeing a lot of turnover in our best workers. And part of that is because they are tired of seeing virtually no distinction between them getting up every day and the number of people they feel like are jumping on the back of the wagon as they pull it. And they are starting to say, you know something, you keep promising you're going to fix this, but you're fixing it by loading me up with more and more and more work. If you want me to stay, you better start doing something about that. So I, as a puller, can actually have work-life balance too, rather than every day have to make up for everyone else that's riding that you don't seem to care about. You're touching on so many great points, Bill, that I'd love to unpack. Mental well-being, mental health mental resilience. These are all things that are premium now in accounting professionals. And in the challenging world that we're in, what tips do you have, words of advice for us in that regard? Well, I'm probably not the best one to answer that question. I mean, to me, (laughs) 
been in martial arts 30 years, part of the focus of that whole skill building is the mental focus that you have. So I probably am, am less able to answer that question than a lot of other people. But here's what I will say. Yes, it is tough in a virtual environment. Yes, you have to self-motivate. Yes, you have to drive yourself. All of those things are true. And people have a lot of problems, all of us do, due to isolation. And the more we don't get outside and see the sun, there's so mm. many effects that we have that can cause mental frustration and mental dissatisfaction. What I'm saying to you is everybody wasn't meant to work at home five days a week. So many times we solve some of this mental frustration by simply making sure that we are around people and that I'm not isolated and that I am learning because that creates all those emotional juices where I feel like I'm getting better and I feel like I'm connected to people. The more you're isolated, it takes a certain type of personality to enjoy being isolated all the mm -hmm. time. And even the ones that like being isolated still need that feeling of at least having a community around them. And this COVID environment has created an, a situation where many people feel like their community is gone. Certainly, there's an onus on self to be self-motivated to upskill. There's also an onus on the employers, the firms themselves, the leadership there to recruit and retain that kind of talent by looking after the people. What are you seeing the great firms doing that the, perhaps the good ones are not to bring in and keep the good talent? We need to be able to respond to people, but it comes back to that same comment I made before. It's about management. So if, if, I, if I am managing you and I am talking to you every day, every other day, if I am checking with you to see how you're doing against expectations, if I'm checking with you to see what you need training in, if I'm looking over your work, you know, two or three times every month to make sure I'm looking for gaps and in, in where you need assistance, I am connected enough with you that I will be able to see that deterioration that's going on. And mm -hmm. I can create some intervention to help. But the problem is we have a lot of people, we might see an email from them. We might mm -hmm. see a chat response. We might see them on a Zoom call going like this, but we have no full awareness of them because we don't typically in firms have a direct reporting system. We have a matrix organization. And if you truly want to get to where we can help deal with this, the, the mental issues, these mental health issues you're talking about, then I need to know who my boss is. I need to know who's in charge of making sure I know what's expected and is telling me how I'm doing and giving me feedback on a regular basis, both good and bad. And being able to check in with me and know me well enough to know that changes are going on and when I should step in and when I need to leave you alone, et cetera. We have such an arm's length uh, scenario in our normal environment because everybody manages everybody. Well, if everybody manages everybody, no one's responsible to manage anybody. And if we're going to have this environment, don't I need to know who not only me is responsible for my performance, but I want to know that you are also responsible to help me get to where I need to go. And that it's not just on me, that I, that I am surrounded by an advocate and I've got a team behind me to help me get there. So let's say I waved a magic wand, Bill, and made you the global czar of the accounting profession. I put you in charge of the whole thing and you have full oversight over the profession internationally. Some firm, the firms have responsibilities, the accountants themselves have responsibilities, but as the governing body, the professional institutes, the associations, they set the examinations, they set the agenda in some respects. You're in charge of all of that now. What's top of your agenda? 
Well, that's a tough one. You just love to put people in situations. You've never been asked tough, that before, yeah. have you? <laughs> and it will never happen, so you won't yeah. be held accountable for your yeah. answer. But... Yeah, I, I could just hear some of the people at the ASCPA say, oh, my God, Bill was put as the czar. What a, what a, horrible, what a horrible decision Rob made on that. Uh, it's like so many things in life. It is a web of issues, and unfortunately, mm. they're all connected. Yeah. And if you try to say, well, we'll just go fix this or we'll fix this, we're missing the fact that it's connected with these other things. So one, people typically wanna be able to work and have a career path and have a raise and feel satisfied about their job. So there's all of that. I've got to teach and I've got to train and I've got to help people move along that career path the way they want to. I also have a responsibility to help people. There's so much focus at the national and state organizations in the U.S. about mental health and how do we help mental health and how do we watch for that? And there are lots of programs that provide assistance for people that need that help. And I think that's really critical. But we also have to create an open channel so that we're talking about that so that people aren't embarrassed about saying, I've got a problem. I need some help with this. Because if we don't have those communications, it is very difficult. We already know that in COVID, we've seen, you know, higher suicide rates. We've seen a number of bad statistics that come out from this. And the fact is, that's because we have so much isolation going on and so many people feeling like they're alone. So consequently, the question you've asked is, let's say there's 10 things. If you try to address them all independently, they still won't make a difference because they have to be interwoven together. And if you would say, what is that? One thing that that we're seeing is making a difference in firms and not only retention, but in the overall satisfaction of their personnel is feeling like they're not alone, feeling like somebody is there to help them, feeling like they're accountable for what they're expected, but not having to guess what that expectation is. And I've got a backup. I've got a team behind me here to help. All I have to do is ask for it. And I think that makes a big difference because it does exactly the opposite. I am not alone. I'm in this as part of a team to go forward. But I can't disguise the fact that I'm still accountable as an individual. I don't have a team so they can pull the wagon so I can ride on it every day. I have a team so that I can pull my share of the time. But there are times I need to ride on the back. And there are times I need to be the one doing the pulling. That's a very good answer. You hired, you start on Monday. Zara of accounting globally. <laughs> Bill, tell us a little bit about your work at the Succession Institute. What kind of challenges, issues would professional firms be having that they would need to say, let's get Bill Reeb in here right now? Well, almost anything is a challenge because of the fact that through growth, what worked before won't work again. So True. there's no best practice now, is there? Because that's out of the window. You can't plan for a year. You can't even plan for 90 days with the complexity of what's going on sometimes. Well, it is true. The strategic planning horizon has shrunk from three to four years to one to two years. And I'd say right. a lot of times we're starting a strategic planning session thinking about 18 months because mm. it's so dynamic. But Part of the point I was making is that the things I do to grow to a million dollars are different than what I have to do to grow to $2 million. And they're different to grow to $4 million. And they're different to grow to $8 million. And they're different to grow to 10 or 12, $15 million. Every time we take a jump in revenue that's very big, we're adding staff and we're adding complexity and we're adding personal interactions. We're adding a level of accountability. If I've got 10 people total that work for me, then I can know all of them and I can know everything about them because there's not that many. But every time I add more people, that distance becomes greater and hierarchy all of a sudden starts to matter where it didn't before. And so consequently, the things that we deal with on a regular basis is 
And this is a point we have to make to every one of our firms because we can easily come in sounding critical. We need to change this. We've got to adjust this. And it's like, well, we're a $10 million firm. We're pretty good. And the point is, I have to stop myself and say, you know, I should have started this at the right place. You guys are amazing. But you're also still operating as if you're a $5 million firm, but you're now a $10 million size. What worked to get you to $5 million is starting to show the cracks and starting to fail at $10 million. And if you keep going, it will eventually break down. And so what we're trying to do is look at firms and try to help them right-size their governance, their, their compensation, their accountability, their, their processes, their adherence to processes. All of those things change no matter how big you are. There is no place in which you've arrived. I can now just duplicate the same exact process forever. Every single time you are just another jump and level of success, you have to do some backtracking to say, okay, I know we've been successful doing it this way, but it doesn't seem to be working as well. What do we need to change? And you're asking people, and we've seen it, we're asking people to give up practices and approaches to the business that have made them very successful and very financially strong or wealthy. And we're asking them to give that up and change. That is a tough thing to do, but we've also seen them do it. And they're doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it partially because they know it's the right thing to do to help the firm get stronger. They're also doing it so that they can pass that firm on to the next generation of leadership. And mm. as they do that, things have to change to acknowledge that what might have worked for the founder will not work for the next generation of leaders. And so we need to put in processes to help support that next generation of leaders to be I, successful. And you and Tommy Berry, who worked at the Succession Institute, your team, you've been doing this for so long. You see the patterns, you see the trends, you've seen the future, if you like. You know how the good firms have navigated upscaling. You're making me think of my church. The pastors at my church have made no secret that they want to be a church of thousands. Now, we're about 100 at the moment. It's just jumping up to 140, 150. Great that it's growing, but that means two gatherings on a Sunday and not one. And all of a sudden, you've got twice the amount of resource that you need, twice the amount of meetings, twice the amount of people, twice the amount of sermons, and, and they don't think that far ahead sometimes. You've been there. You navigate that, don't you, for firms? I do, and it's a great example because what we – what we learn in martial arts is everything in life is the same. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about a church, you're talking about a business, you're talking about some personal interaction. Mm -hmm. We use the same exact, the same exact decision processes. And, you know, I've heard people say, you know, you got one kid, a second kid's like easier. You know, you got two. It's it, Well, it isn't. It isn't easier. Yes, there's some times during the day where they might play with each other, but it's two kids. It's not one and a half times one kid. It's like three. So so the idea now, I, there could be some number when you have 20 kids. It actually does get easier. I don't know. But at the point that I'm making is that, you know, you go from 140 parishioners, 140 members to 200, you haven't doubled the complexity, you probably tripled the complexity because now I, I have staff that can really manage 100 very easily. But when I go to 200, I've got a lot of training that has to happen. Mm -hmm. I've got to upskill some people. My processes aren't built to handle that kind of volume. We have more exceptions because of things that are going on with numbers. The, the, the overall complexity, now I have constraints and resources. How do I leverage the resources? How do I manage them in a good way? Uh, how do I not turn this into feeling like it's a cattle car where I'm just running people in and out, but I still have that same intimate connection? You haven't doubled the effort. You've tripled it. And we, we're thinking like, well, we're just doing what we did. We just have one extra, one extra service. It's not that simple. No. And what it takes to manage in that environment is more processes, more training 
more consistency, more expectations, even to the to the primary pastor as to what he or she might have been doing. Now, all of a sudden, they need to follow the same kind of rules, whereas before they could just kind of do it the way they wanted because it was just them. So to create the consistency, we have to have everybody following whatever rules are established. They all need to follow it. And that just creates a bunch of issues that we just kind of roll off our back is how hard can that be? Well, actually, pretty hard if you don't have a roadmap to get there. And I'm just thinking of the mantra, what got you here won't get you there. But even in COVID times, what got you there last year won't get you there this year because the whole game has changed. So uh, as we draw it to a close, Bill, I'd like you to get your crystal ball out and give some advice to the accounting leaders listening to help them navigate what's coming up over the next few years for accounting firms. Well, I think number one, we have to recognize that a bunch of our com- bunch of our standard work that we do is commodity work that's simple to medium transaction kind of complexity. That is going to drop in price dramatically, if not much of it go away because of automation. And that's the bread and butter for professional firms, isn't it? Which is a problem. There's a lot of firms that that's 70% of their volume mm. is in that. Like I said, you take away 70% of your volume, you have no way to right size that ship. No. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, it's not going to go away like a cliff and fall off. It's going to slowly dwindle. So how do we make sure that we get ready for that? We have to stop paying lip service to be an advisor. And we need to make that a requirement. As long as we know what the client wants their house to look like that we're building, none of that is in jeopardy for us because we will be in a position to do all of that work. But historically, we're not the ones that know what the house is the client's trying to build. We are the ones like a painter. They're just bringing us in to paint the walls. And the less we know about what it is they're trying to accomplish, the more at risk we are of being a a painter that is substituted. And the way I, I, I refer to this on a regular basis is that Even if you're the best painter in the world, whoever's helping that client design the dream house and make sure that everybody's working towards building it exactly the way the client wants, Mm -hmm. I could be the best painter in the world, but whoever's managing that construction project, all they have to do is look at the client and say, you know, I know Rob is the best painter in the world, but because I'm trying to manage a lot of complexity, I need to bring Bill in. He's not as good, Mm -hmm. but I can work him in and get this done and I can keep everything on schedule. And that client is going to say, you know, I love Rob, but go ahead and hire Bill. You're the one that's in charge of, the, of making sure my dream house is built the way it's supposed to. And we we pay lip service to the fact that we're going to do that. And we say things like, as soon as I get done with my work, I'm going to go do that. But that work is growing. It is ratcheting up. And when you start looking at the merger market, we have a bunch of firms merging in other firms. They're not able to step up and do more. They actually are lowering themselves. So partners are doing more manager work and managers are doing more supervisory work. Why? Because the person and group we merged in doesn't have enough talent staying. So now the people we have have to move downstream instead of upstream. So we have a number of forces that keep making us dig ourselves a little deeper hole all the time. We know what's coming. We are in full charge of this. We have more opportunity than we've ever had, but we can't grasp that opportunity if we're not willing to take a hard look at how we advise our clients and how critical that role is that we make internally to develop those skills. We have time, but we will run out of time. Bottom line, Bill, good time to be coming into the accounting profession. I think it's a great time to be in the accounting profession. The sky's the limit. You can do anything you want. Because I think we're going to ultimately be professional services firms, 
many of our firms that will have lawyers, they have engineers, you name it, technologists, we have more and more and more skills being added to the CPA firm. You can do anything you want in today's time. And there are so many things our clients need for help. How could this not be a great time? The reason why it's not a great time is for somebody who said, you know something, I'm comfortable with what I'm doing <laughs> and I don't want to change that. It's yeah. not a great time for them. Bill Reeb, it's been uh, an honor today. Thanks so much for your passion and your insights. Uh, fantastic interview. We really appreciate it. Anytime, Rob. Thanks for letting me be part of this. And a big shout out to one of our newest commercial partners, it's Practice Ignition. How would you explain what those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to, one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. How global are these guys? There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks, allowing the practitioner to run their practice on autopilot and automate time-consuming tasks such as client onboarding or invoicing. 91% of their customers spend less time creating proposals and chasing signatures and payments. 87% were able to cancel other software subscriptions and 80% are fewer or no unpaid invoices at any given time. That's amazing. So if you're in the US, we'd say, say hello to zero account receivable. If you're in the UK, we'd say impressions that last payments made fast. And if you're in Australia, we'd say first impressions that win new business every time. For the entire world, the bottom line is that you can get to use PI right now. We've got a special offer from our PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. Info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for accounting influencers.